the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. Like always, how are we doing tonight? I think we're good. Pretty wonderful. I'm a little bit nervous about this one. Yes. So this case is our second crowdsourced case. It came from a girl in our Facebook group. So everybody join our Facebook group, get on our socials, but it is up. It is like, I don't know what better word to describe it. I'm actually scared to do it Yeah, because I don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to upset anybody, but it's such an underreported case that I I feel like we have to, we have to, I hate this case. Yeah. And it's not a matter of, I, I want you guys to hear it, but I hate, this case yeah it's it's disgusting so it's disturbing upsetting. it's depraved so here's our little warning like listener discretion advised proceed with caution today's case is set in joliet illinois which is a town that's 30 miles southwest of chicago and it's the fourth largest city or town or whatever you want to describe it as in Illinois. So yeah. it's not a small town. No, it's and it's a town famous for its prison. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Joliet. Didn't you guys ever seen Blues Brothers? No. no. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right, Joliet, Jake. That's where the Blues Brothers were. Okay, Joliet Prison is a, is a giant prison. It's incredibly famous. I had no idea. Yes. Hmm. Well, Excellent. Well, that's what Joliet's <laughs> known for. But also kind of odd... Again, that this case didn't get that much coverage if it comes from, you know, a place that Mm -hmm. is kind of surrounded by that. Exactly. It's it's so strange. And this entire story where they normally do start with the 911 call, this one starts with a call made by a daughter to her father. And Bill McKee is the father in this case. And he answered a call from his 18-year-old daughter, Bethany McKee. And on the phone call, she had a disturbing, chilling request for her father. She said that she and her friends needed help disposing of the bodies of two men that they had murdered a day or so earlier in a house on Hickory Street, which is in a suburban neighborhood in Joliet. Now, on the phone, clearly he was shocked, disgusted, horrified, all the emotions a father would experience when Mm -hmm. a daughter has a request like that. But he did agree to help. However, as soon as he hung up, he obviously called the Joliet Police Department. And what the police would find at this Hickory Street home and what they would eventually learn from the four young people involved in these murders would be what nightmares are made of. And I have to say that I know we've said it before, the level of depravity in this case, it's like nothing I've heard in quite a while. Um, and the bulk of the information and research for this case came from either the Joliet Patch or court documents. The the reporter for the Joliet Patch was given police documents, which detailed, you know, verbatim transcripts of what the suspects said. So that's where we're getting all this info. This is not hearsay. It's very reputable information. And like we said, the accounts are explicit, troubling, callous, and you get the picture. So Bill McKee calls the police after getting this disturbing call from his daughter. And they are dispatched to the house on Hickory Street. And Billy, what do they find there? So let me paint the picture of the exterior of the house at first. 
it definitely doesn't live up to whatever vision you have of the nightmare on Hickory Street probably evokes. It's a pretty unremarkable house. It's tan with white trim, two stories, chain link fence around it. Nothing was alarming about the exterior of the home when the Juliet police approached and they said they got a call. So when the cops knocked on the door, they met an 18-year-old girl named Elisa Massaro, and she told the officers that there are currently two other people in the house with her. 24-year-old Josh Miner was upstairs, and 19-year-old Adam Landerman was down in the basement. And when police went to approach Adam, he was lying in fetal position, and he refused to talk to them, and then he finally stood up and turned toward them with a massive grin on his face. Right, and then they went up to the bedroom to find Josh Miner. And he was sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette with this really nonchalant attitude. And he coldly said to the cops, I did the guy with the dreadlocks. He then told them that his friend Adam killed the other one. When the police entered, another thing that they noticed is that everyone still seemed to be partying. They had Grand Theft Auto up on the TV screen. They had mirrors out because they were doing cocaine, open beers everywhere. They didn't immediately understand the gravity of the situation here. Nor did they try to cover anything or hide anything. Not or trying to cover, no remorse, no explanation, just very whatever. matter of fact, very whatever, very cavalier. The mind boggles, truly. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the crazy thing because there were two other men in the house, two other bodies in the house, Eric Glover and Terrence Rankin's. They were both dead. They were both 22 years old. They had been strangled and someone had tied plastic bags around their heads. Both bodies were face down and they had already showed signs of rigor mortis. One of the bodies was laying on top of a black garbage bag that had been separated at the seams with a white plastic bag around his head. And the head of the other body had been wrapped in a red plastic bag and was resting on a pillow. And the room they were found in was a mess. There was piles of dirty laundry, extension cords around them. There was a tan sheet over the men and a mattress on the floor nearby. Okay, this is so disturbing. So who are these two victims then? Who are these two dead 22-year-olds? They're kids, for Christ's sake. But who are they? Who's Terrence and Eric? So Eric Glover and Terrence Rankins had been best friends for more than five years. Eric graduated from Juliet Central High School. He made the honor roll. He was on wrestling and track, and he also played minor league football in the area and coached youth football with his stepdad. So he was a good kid. He had a fiance, and the couple was supposed to get married a month after Terrence and Eric were killed. Terrence was described as a very outgoing, loving person. His mother said that he had hoped to go to college and wanted to be a social worker. He liked making music, dancing, and playing sports. So these were just two normal, good kids one was going to get married. They're just normal, everyday guys. Right. And Billy said that, of course, they had already entered into rigor mortis, which is generally happens eight hours or so after a murder. So they were missing for at least eight hours. Mm-hmm. But they had actually been missing for over 24 hours. And the parents of both boys had been worried sick when they both decided to go out and then never returned. So... The night that they went missing, Eric watched a movie with his mom, stepdad, and fiance. And he left about 6 p.m. saying that he had to go drive Terrence somewhere. And Terrence and his mother were very close. So she called him a number of times after it started to get late to see where he was. And he never responded, which is really uncharacteristic of him. 
she then texted him. He didn't respond. And his phone was under her phone plan. So she then called her cell phone provider and, to see if she could track where the phone was and mm-hmm. do the find my iPhone type thing. But tried to track down this phone to see if they could place where he was. They couldn't do that, but they could tell him the last person he had a call with. And that was Bethany McKee. And our first read guest today has a really fascinating connection to her. And her name's Sarah, and she was actually a teacher to Bethany and came in contact with Adam, too. Adam and Bethany went to the same school, and Sarah was a teacher at this school. So you're going to hear from her right now. My name is Sarah, and my first degree connection uh, is that I was a teacher for one of the students um, who was involved in the Nightmare on Hickory Street murder. I taught Bethany. So I started in the middle of the year, and so it was her last semester of high school. And when I first came into the classroom, she was very quiet. She was reserved. She had, I think she had blue hair at the time, so I think in her picture she has blue hair too. She just had the demeanor of kind of a grumpy old lady. Uh, I remember her staying alone a lot. No one really wanted to, you know, you don't want to really talk to her too much because she might be upset with you or might get angry at you. She would leave early to go take care of her child. But overall, I mean, she was a good student. She did all her work. She was there because she needed to get the credits and get her high school diploma. So other than that, she really didn't cause too many problems. Okay, so what did you guys think of Sarah's first impression of Bethany McKee? So we pretty much have that she kind of didn't have any friends. She was a little bit grumpy. I think that, I mean, knowing this case, that makes sense. So now we know about Bethany. We've got kind of a glimpse behind the curtain of who Bethany is. But what about the other three? What is what are their deals? So Elisa was the 18-year-old who lived at that house on Hickory Street, and she lived there with her dad. She'd been friends with Bethany and Adam Landerman for years. Bethany had been one of her childhood friends for a long, long time. And Adam's mother is a police sergeant at the Juliet Police Department, which is bonkers. That is horrible. I mean, I just can't imagine what his mom the whole thing is horrible put up yeah, the whole that, thing is horrible no, but the, the mom who yeah, yeah. who's yep. sworn to serve and protect like can you i mean i can't even <sighs> no i can't fathom but of course our first degree connection didn't just meet bethany adam went to the same school so she had an encounter with him also so let's hear what she had to say about him i'm not sure if it was weeks or months later she did bring her child in to visit with Adam, who was another, he was a former student. I never had him, but he was a former student at the school that we were at. So he came and visited other staff that had been there. And so she brought her child with Adam to just visit. Because sometimes students, they, you know, that's we're all they have for a lot of, for a lot of students. So they want to come visit and, and, uh, just kind of thank you for everything that you've done. So it was kind of like that. She was, she was, you know, missing us and thanking us. I didn't know Adam personally, but I do have, I've had students that have parents as cops or come from really good families and they are just 
yeah, kind of looking to rebel against them. And I think it's because he hasn't had to go to jail or he hasn't had any consequences because he has that safety net to fall back on. I think a lot of students think, or uh, teenagers in particular, think that they're invincible and they are pushing the boundaries for sure. So we talked about Elisa. We talked about Bethany. We talked a little bit about Adam. Let's talk about Josh Minor. Okay. So Josh Minor was actually the oldest of the four, and he had a pretty serious criminal record. When he was 16, he pled guilty to filming a child pornography video. In 2010, the jury convicted him of residential burglary, and inside prison, the judge enrolled the heavy drug user into some sort of a boot camp program. Josh and Alyssa had this on-again, off-again relationship, but they'd been involved for a few years. Although Josh and Alyssa were a couple, at one point she filed a restraining order against Josh, clearly during one of those off-again periods. Okay, now, as far as Josh goes, this is a really unique situation because a reporter was able to get into the jail uh, while Josh was waiting to go to trial, and they were able to conduct a number of interviews with Josh. So we can actually give you a peek into the mind of this depraved individual. And this will really help you guys get a glimpse into the kind of people we are dealing with here. I split my tongue with, uh, I had a tongue piercing. Mm-hmm. And then I put a string through it. And then I took the string and I tightened it. And I started sawing the, the pulling it and sawing it. And it split. And why, why would you do that? When I, when, because my birthday is June 30th, I was, like my golden birthday, I was going to turn into a freak. I wanted, I wanted white gold fangs on my teeth. I wanted fangs. I wanted my tongue split. And I wanted my ears pitted. Uh, like I wanted them like shaped like a batter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I'm in the ICP, like in St. Cloud Posse. And the brittle box is uh, my my card, I guess you could say. And it's it's like a snake clown. It's like a snake clown. Okay. So I wanted that. And my entire life, I was always into horror movies and uh, freaky ass things and stuff like that. And so I wanted I wanted to be a real vampire. I dreamt about it. I read a lot of books. Uh, like actual books of uh, history, like Dracul and all the uh, Blood the Impaler and all them. I wanted to be an actual vampire and I was looking for things and all this other stuff. It was just some outrageous shit. Um, and when, when I think about shit, it's like, I don't know how to explain things. Like I'm a walking oxymoron. Like uh, when I feel, but I don't feel. I see things, but I don't care about them. But uh, I'll, I'll literally take the shirt off my back to help somebody. But then I'll just turn around and I'll take another person's shirt off their back. Uh, like, I wouldn't care. I don't know exactly how to explain it. It's just I'm a good person, but I like I got a good heart, but I got a bad soul. I have a lot of feelings about that. Oh, my God. So many things that to is say. That's a chilling thing to hear. First of all, he's very self-aware. 
of kind of how messed up his brain is. And he's right. he's almost a poet in the way that he describes it at the end, which is really chilling. What bothers me, it's like he's reveling in it. Mm-hmm. Like he knows what he's on trial. He's about to go on trial for. Mm-hmm. And he's like leaning into it yeah. and trying yeah. to disturb people and trying to just own the fact that he's this like bad motherfucker who has done these hard things. And I feel like it's this. See, I don't feel like he's saying it like that, though. I think he's kind of explaining himself in like a matter of fact way. But I think he's also he's trying to just be the monster. He's trying to portray himself as the monster. He, well, yeah. Well, now he's trying like to I've physically. Got a, I've got a good heart. But a bad but soul. But a bad soul. You know, I wonder if that's an ICP lyric. No, I think he's rehearsed this. Like, this is the kind of guy he is. That's something I feel like he practiced. Those are metaphors that are kind of poignant. Yeah. He, those were not off the cuff. And I looked up that riddle box that he said that he was whatever he was trying to do. And it's one of their albums. And it's this clown that has a split tongue. So that's oh, what he was trying to so turn himself into. I don't know. What do you guys make of just I know there are a million normal people who do it. But the body modification, he wanted well, to do his ears and he wanted to do all of these other things. Does that? I think the thing that's disturbing about it is not that he wanted to do any of this. I think it's the fact that he split his tongue in two with a string. We talked a little bit about the victims. We talked a bit about the four suspects, the four perpetrators in this case. But how exactly did they know each other? How did they end up at that house that night? Friends of the victims say that Terrence and Eric were called to the home by Bethany and she invited them over and she ended up bringing his friend Alex. So, so he, she really invited Terrence. Yeah. Yes. And then Terrence invited Eric said, said like, Oh, I'm bringing Eric over. And she said, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. I don't even think she knew. I think she, it was a surprise. He just like showed up with Eric. Yeah. Right. But she was the honeypot in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So Terrence had actually talked to a friend on the phone while he was partying with the four kids. And he actually jokes that uh, they were telling him that uh, him and Eric had been kidnapped. He said that they told him, you aren't going home tonight. And he said he thought it was a joke. Right. Terrence laughed it off. Yeah. He, because he, he, it, he just laughed. I mean, nobody's going to take that seriously. No, it's like, you're not leaving. Oh, <laughs> like, oh, ha, ha. Oh, okay. Drunk, yeah. Drinking. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's a joke. And, and he's like, cool. Hold me hostage, hot chicks. Whatever. Right. You know. But another friend of Terrence shared a photo that had been posted on Instagram uh, about two days before his murder. Uh, it is a picture, actually, that Terrence had taken of Adam and Bethany, who are facing each other in the picture with a mirror in Adam's lap. Yeah, they do a mirror from some cocaine. Yeah. Yes. So what this is setting up here is that they were friends. They were friends. They had been hanging out two days before this at a different, you know, hang or a different Mm -hmm. shindig at the same house. They were not strangers. They weren't great friends. They were acquaintances. And, you know, it was also rumored that Bethany and Terrence had a thing. That's how this, this connection was made. This is how they were invited over. And then they started hanging out with this group and, Elisa and Bethany had been best friends, and this is just kind of how all of them were brought together. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus, and I couldn't practice enough, and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. 
Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on the realreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Now, we've got the background on the victims and the suspects. So let's rewind back to the day this happened. Elisa, Adam, and Josh were arrested on the scene after Bethany's dad called the cops, Mm -hmm. after Bethany had made this disturbing request to her father. Bethany was arrested at her home shortly after because she wasn't there when the cops arrived Mm -hmm. when she was in custody she said the last time she left the hickory street house both men were still alive now to be clear if you search online there are many conflicting accounts of what happened that night all four suspects were interrogated their stories varied of course to cover their own asses and take the heat off them and of course that's what criminals do they shift blame and all of that So we're, for the most part, going by the accounts of the events outlined in court documents, specifically from Bethany McKee's trial. So we will also cover some of the details outlined in the Joliet patch. And these are very reputable also, though, because they come directly from the police documents. Right. But generally, court documents are a little bit more streamlined and a little bit more, um, you know, cleansed. This is going to be horrific, but we did take, believe it or not, a lot of it out. So we're doing our best. So again, brace yourselves because this is the account of that night. All right. So it all started in January of 2013. 
Bethany and her 15 month daughter were staying in Elisa's house in Juliet. Elisa's room was on the top floor and her father lived on the first floor. On the night of the murders, Elisa decided to have a little shindig. Adam and Josh came over to hang out with them and drink and do whatever the hell they were doing. They started partying and they realized that they were short on money to buy booze and cigarettes. So they started discussing how they're going to come up with money. Right as they were having this conversation, Bethany received a text from Terrence, a guy she had this on again, off again thing with. And he essentially just asked her if she wanted to hang out and drink that night with him and his friend Eric. So Bethany was sitting with the others, mentioned to the group that Terrence always had cash on him and happened to have happened to be reaching out to her at that moment. So that's when Josh interjected. He bragged to the group that he for sure could beat up, kill and rob Terrence and Eric. Do we think at this point when somebody's like, oh, yeah, I could kill that guy. Like, do other people take are you people taking you seriously on that claim? I think I've heard a lot of crimes start this way. I think the first joke. No. And then I think things start to escalate and they're all joking. But one person, again, I, I'm of a school of thought where I believe Josh is the ringleader. Mm-hmm. I think the rest are too stupid yeah. and cowardly to have ever actually done this on their own or thought of it. I don't know. I just think the rest are just lemmings who went along with this psychopath um, who has a total lack of empathy. But, you know, at this point, Adam then chimed in and volunteered to help. But then, you, but then you have Terrence, and Terrence is just—I mean, he's just—he just wants to hang out with her. You know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, think about that. Think about the the innocence of that. The, the yeah. innocence of a guy that just wants to go and hang, hang out with a girl, likes. maybe a get girl a that he likes, maybe get a smooch, and he's walking into <sighs> his end. Yeah. Think about that. He's walking into his end. I. And then Eric just. Gives his friend a ride and probably is like, hey, dude, come in for one oh, drink. It's just yeah. like the wrong place. Come in for time. one drink, dude. Like how many times has that been you and I, Jack? Yeah. I've driven you. It's like, just come have one drink. No, I don't want to. My fiance's at home, which is what Eric had at home. Mm-hmm. I just said I was giving Terrence a ride. Dude, just come in for one drink. You start playing video games. Yeah. The nights get kids carried away. And before you know it, a tragedy strikes. And yeah. It's like, you all just had no idea that your life, that was the last day of your life. And do we know if Terrence knew that there are other guys at the house or did he just think it was Bethany and Elisa? No. So Bethany led Terrence to believe that essentially Eric and Terrence were coming over to hang out with Elisa and Bethany. Okay. Yeah. And so they were so just an empty I'm, house with, with two women. Yeah. So it was a surprise that the guys were there, but again, they're probably just like, the Instagram, whatever. The Instagram yeah. posts cool. prove that he knew they knew each other. They knew each other. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't a huge deal. And they all started playing video games and it was no harm, no foul. They, right. The partying continued. Okay. But th- they go over there. And apparently the group had set up a signal to indicate when Bethany and Elisa were to leave the room so Josh and Adam could put this plan into action. Mm-hmm. So basically, Terrence and Eric are coming over to think that they're hanging out with Bethany and Elisa. But they come over. Josh and Adam are both there. They're all start hanging out. But before they came over, the group of four kind of came up with this signal that the guys would say to the girls and then they would know to leave because they didn't want to be there when they were going to get whatever was going to happen or whatever this attack, which who knows who knew what it was going to be. So just think about that though. Like you're inviting two people over and how many times have you done that when you're sitting around drinking with friends, playing video games, whatever, 
two guys come over and you're all just looking at each other being like, all right, well, when are we, when are we going to hear that signal? Yeah. I wonder what the signal was. Uh, I wonder what the energy was like. And I wonder if they tried to get them drunk first. I mean, it's in its, you know, but, and I wonder how serious everybody thought it was going to be. And if everybody was just hanging out, it was like a good night. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get the signal. And when Josh gave him the signal, Bethany picked up her daughter and she left the upstairs apartment and Elisa went with her. So the girls are out of the house. Well, they're downstairs. upstairs. They're downstairs. Downstairs. With with Elisa's dad. Oh, shit. The dad is home. So let's just say that the dad is home. But not only that, I want to talk real quick about how Bethany has brought a child into this world. And then has such a lack, like, this is all very casual. You know, it's like, that's what boggles my mind yeah. about. Listen, I know your, your brain isn't fully developed till you're 26. I actually do believe that. But I feel like uh, the empathy you'd have for your own child you is think. something that would mature your perspective on human life and the value of it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she could sit there with her baby and have this discussion about okay okay yeah let's rob them and kill them and then you know well, was it was it rob even, them and kill them or, or was, was it, it just rob them? them even so it's he said i could not that not they, that, not they that said either I, was could, good. I could beat up and kill them and but even them. but even if she thought that he was joking say that she thought that josh was joking and they're still trying to lure these two guys in to rob them or god know to whatever kind of fight you're starting to make that could escalate in many ways. The other guys could fight back. Somebody could have brought a gun. Like, you have no idea how people are going to react. So to bring your child that is a year old into that, regardless of what you think the outcome is going to be, so, is absolutely insane. Also, cocaine mirrors, beer. Yeah, you're weed, wasted. Everything. It's just, it's a disaster. So, Sarah, uh, our first degree connection, she told me uh, that she met the baby and she met Bethany with the baby, and she observed some interactions between them. So let's hear what that was like, because that doesn't sound like a very responsible move to me. And her kid was at the, the situation, or the crime scene at one point as well, and it just baffles my mind, like, you know, how could you, why would you even think to bring your child around, even if you weren't going to go through with whatever happens there? Why would you bring your child into that kind of environment, you know, if there's drugs and alcohol and, and whatnot? But these these students that we've had at our school, um, you know, obviously I'm not I'm not trying to condone what they what they've done, um, but a lot of the students have extremely, extremely um messed up backgrounds. Um, where they're they were definitely brought into that kind of environment before. Um, so it could just be, you know, this is what my parents did, so I'm going to do this. Maybe not the murdering part, but, I mean, definitely bringing them around, you know, the sh- some shady people and drugs and alcohol and things like that. Let's get back to what happened that night. Bethany, Elise, and her baby went downstairs after they got the signal. Whatever it was, I really also would like to know. And they went down and hung out with Elise's dad. So Elise's dad had been asleep on the couch downstairs and he woke up while the attack was taking place. And Bethany and Elisa told him that Adam and Josh were moving a broken television, which is the most bizarro thing. Yeah. If you were in your own house and they they said there was a broken television, you would go downstairs and say, like, 
what's going on with the broken television? Did you yeah. break one of my televisions? And yeah, and also I just can't imagine that trying to move a broken television sounded like what was actually going on. Right. So. The dad threatened to call the cops if the noise didn't stop. And then Elisa went to the door at the top of the stairs and yelled upstairs for all of them to be quiet. So the dad wouldn't end up calling the cops. Um, and later on, she admitted that she heard Josh saying, die, die, accompanied by sounds of a struggle. So Bethany and Elisa, they leave to drop off Bethany, Bethany's daughter, as you do, off at a family member's house. So the kid's not there anymore, but then they get back to the Hickory Street home. Josh and Adam obviously are still there, and they see Terrence and, and Eric, and they're unconscious. Mm-hmm. The girls are both scared that the bodies would reach out and grab them like zombies mm-hmm. or something. So the boys hogtie the victims with these uh, laundry and extension cords in case any of them come to or uh, regain their consciousness. And then they claim to have heard a gasp or a sort of zombie noise, which is what there's a quote, a zombie noise from one of the victims. And then they don't hear anything else. And that's when they realize that they had actually killed Terrence and Eric. I want to go to the zombie noise thing because I feel like that comment shows how out of touch with reality that they are with what they had just done. Mm-hmm. That they're they're thinking that these these people might just turn into zombies and like, ha ha. That's just not what you think after you see a dead body as an adult. Yeah. yeah. Using the term zombie where they might have a second life and it's a different type of life. It's a zombie life. Yeah. It's just so, it's so odd. It's bizarre. Using that, not, not a death rattle, which is potentially what this was because you always hear about that. You always Mm -hmm. hear about somebody like having a death rattle where if you potentially move somebody who has died, the last bit of their air will come out of them and it'll sound like something. I'm I'm being really quiet because I'm at like a total loss because this is so upsetting. Yeah. The one observation I will make is that saying that it's a zombie noise and I read that this is what they said at the time mm-hmm. on scene is uh, an admission of knowing they were dead. So I think it's like because zombies are dead and I think saying that we thought they were unconscious, they made it. No, you knew they were dead. Yeah. You knew they were right. dead. And this calling them, it's just an admission. No, saying it's a zombie noise means that they died and then they're eventually coming back. No, they're so immature. They, these kids are just. Well, it's like you're thinking you're in a movie or a video game. Yeah. It's odd. No, they're playing Resident Evil or something. Yeah, Yeah. it's unbelievable. So Adam and Josh, they search the bodies. They take the cash uh, that they knew these guys had, which is the whole reason why they, they, they said to invite them over. And they tell Bethany and Alyssa to go buy cigarettes. And the girls, they search Eric's vehicle and they take several things, including CDs, stuffed animals, and a pair of baby boots. Which are probably a gift for someone else because he didn't have a kid. It is the fact that you just killed someone or were involved. I get that Alyssa and Bethany didn't use their hands to do so. Mm -hmm. But the, the cavalier attitude around this, when this woman has a young woman has a child yeah is the most confusing juxtaposing. no because we're talking about cds stuffed animals and baby boots how much is that and then jack how much money did he have on him terrence had a hundred dollars so all of this for a hundred dollars is insane so then after they took all of their stuff they all left the house on hickory street they bought cigarettes and cocaine 
with the money that they had taken from Eric and Terrence. When they returned, they did all the cocaine and they kicked the bodies and hit them with an empty liquor bottle, which I just, it disgusts me to even say that. No, it's just the lack of understanding for what they've done or the apathy about it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're right on the cusp age wise where they should have a much better understanding than they seem to have. But, you know, Josh was asked about the events of that evening. And by the way, Josh is not young. Josh is 24, 24. Four yeah, years old. 24. That's right. You're, You're an this adult. Is, this is a mixture of like sociopathy and immaturity. Yeah. And I would say probably 50% of them. I don't know which because this is very much like hive minded mm-hmm. where it's like, I bet you two of them are really f-ed up and the other two were just following suit. Yeah. I mean, there's no, how do you, how do four people like this find each other? That's what I was, honestly, that's what I was wondering reading this case. I'm like, how do four psychopaths well, find well, each other? Right. And, I, that's why we won't say who's the psychos. Right. Like, we don't know because they all conformed. Well, Josh. But anyways, so <laughs> let's hear what Josh had to say as far as what happened. And again, this guy is a criminal psychopath. So everything he says is suspect. It's just to get a peek into his brain, not to take it as fact. His account of events. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to punctuate that. So let's have a listen. The, the guys came in and everything, and then they, the girls didn't want to f*** them. So then when the girls went downstairs to smoke the cigarette, uh, when the girls went downstairs to get the cigarettes, I came back in the uh, room and I was like, hey, uh, it's time for you guys to go. And they're like, what? We ain't going nowhere. So I was like, Phew. I hit the one guy inside the head, and I was like, get the f*** out, blah, blah. He starts pushing me, we start pushing each other and everything. And we go into the kitchen area. His buddy and Adam, and Adam, they're, they're sitting on the couch like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And uh, I'm in the kitchen area, and I'm punching him. Uh, and his buddy comes up behind me. He's like, man, let go of my cutty white boy. I'll f- kill you. this say, get off my cutty. So I, I take, uh, Terrence, I take Terrence, and I put him in the headlock. I'm still hitting him and everything. And his buddy comes up and f-ing like shoves me down. So I'm back at my knee and uh, got Terrence in front of me. And he kicks me in the face, like f-ing me, like f-ing my face up. And I'm yelling at Adam. I'm like, man, get this motherfucker off me. Get this dude off me. What the f- where you at? Get him off me. So eventually Adam came like, come on, man. One-on-one, one-on-one. And uh, me and dude were fighting and everything. Uh, and I'm still holding him. And then uh, dude comes up and hits me again. And Adam finally like takes him, pulls him back into the living room. I don't know what they do. And then I finally I'm holding him, and finally he stops moving. And from what I heard uh, in the uh, the trial, like I guess I was holding him like way too long, because he was still moving. In my mind, he was still moving. But what the lady was saying, he was uh, spazzing out or whatever. So he was still moving, and when he stopped moving, I laid him down. Then I went into the living room to check on Adam and the other guy. While Adam's on the other guy's back, holding his neck back like that. And he's like, oh, blah, blah, I heard his neck snap, he vomited on my coat, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I'm like, well, get off. Yeah. So I take dude with the dreads, uh, uh, Eric, I take uh, his head and I shake his head and I stick my fingers up his nose, see if he's breathing or something. Like, see if he's breathing. Well, he ain't breathing, so I drop his head, and I'm like, oh, f-. I run in the kitchen, I start kicking, uh, 
uh, Terrence. Like, dude, get up, bitch, get up, move, move, move. He doesn't move, so I pick his head up and oh shit. I see blood coming out of his nose and mouth, so I drop his head up and Mo, uh, Elisa was trying to come in the door. I told her to stop, wait, wait outside the door. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, don't shoot it, just shut up, don't worry about it. So me and Adam, we grabbed uh, the dreadlock one, threw him in the spare room. We grabbed uh, uh, Terrence, the bulkhead one, threw him in the spare room. And then I put a towel down because uh, Terrence's uh, mouth was bleeding. I put a towel down so I wouldn't get on the carpet and everything. And I shut the door. Well, uh, I cleaned up the mess, cleaned up some of the blood off me, cleaned up the kitchen. And Elisa, Elisa came in. Uh, Bethany, I guess, was still downstairs doing something. Elisa uh, came in. She's like, oh my God, what's going on? I'm like, don't worry about it. Just chill out. Uh, Bethany came up and she's like saying the same thing. She's like, where the other guys go? This, that, what happened? I'm like, don't worry about it, just shut up. Uh, I'm like vibrating everything because I get like anxiety. So I'm like shaking. Uh, but then Adam finally tells him, was like, hey, blah, blah. We got into a fight, we killed them. They, they're dead. They're like, oh my God, are they dead? Blah, blah, this, that. So we went to the spare room, opened up the door, showed them. They're like, oh shit, they're really dead, blah, blah. And then Elisa was like, what if they get up? What, what if they're like zombies or something and they pop back up? Oh, well, we laugh about that and joke and shit and all. Uh, I tie, I tie them together, uh, like together. Yeah. And then uh, the eyes, Elisa was like, the eyes are freaking me out. So I put bags over their head, just put them over their head. And then after everything, we went and someone stepped on my PlayStation, like I wrote in there, someone stepped on my PlayStation. They, they were saying that we were playing video games and stuff throughout the, throughout the incident. It, it was playing error. It was like, it was saying error and it was playing intro music. And the game wasn't even working at the time. So when they come in, we, we had more stuff to worry about than worrying about a broken game system. Um, so we're sitting there, we're trying to figure out what to do. And then uh, we're like, I really need a cigarette, really need a cigarette. And then Adam's like, well, they're supposed to have money, ain't they? I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. So we go in there, move their bodies around, uh, check their pockets. Then we grab the pockets, go to the girls, give them all the money. And we're like, hey, go fill up the tank and uh, grab some cigarettes. So they went, grabbed a pack of cigarettes for all four of us and filled up the tank. They had, uh, on both of them, they probably had like 120 all together. Plus, like, a couple bags of weed um, and a little baggie of coke. Well, they, the girls left, they came back, and then we're still talking about uh, what we're going to do, how we're going to figure this out, what the f*** do we do. So we're throwing, like, ideas around this, that. Her dad's still downstairs. We're like, well, we got to wait for her dad to leave, go to work and everything, then we can, then we can do all this. Holy shit, he just detailed killing two people like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. One thing that I think is really interesting is how he keeps forgetting the names of Terrence and Eric. And sometimes he calls them, I was fighting dude over there. And then I came back and then he's like, oh, and, and uh, uh, it was uh, Eric. And I'm like, is this, are you actually forgetting these people? Or are you trying to disassociate I'm sure. the hu- humanity of yeah. what you're doing? Well, I'm sure he, you have to dehumanize to not Your actions unhinge about what you've done, 
I mean, I think also, he says it so nonchalantly, though. Also, it's so I think odd. He's a racist. So I think absolutely. So there's you know all sorts of things going on here too. And, where it's and like, he talks about oh he threw up he threw up on his jacket. So it's just like he's more concerned about the things, the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on about that with talking about the video games, which we'll hear. So it's like he he's he's more concerned about the stuff. I didn't want to get blood on the carpet. I, oh my god! Oh, I yeah. cleaned the carpet really quickly, and it's like. Are you really? What about damaging the uh, the human being, which you've just, uh, you know, snuffed two people out of existence? And he's concerned with the carpet. He's concerned with his video games. He's He's concerned concerned about his jacket. It's like, it's unbelievable. So his whole thing is that he and Adam killed those guys because they tried to rape the girls and wanted to have sex with the girls and didn't want to leave. And then... He doesn't realize this because it's a spon- you know, uh, subconscious admission. But he says, after they're dead, Adam goes, they're supposed to have money, right? They have money on them, right? Which proves that they talked about it before. Mm-hmm. How would they know that? Mm-hmm. How would they all be on the same page about they're going to have money unless they plan to rob them? Yeah, it wasn't a spontaneous self-defense Ig- thing. Exactly. It is so insane. All right. So all of this happens, right? This crazy, chaotic thing ensues. None of these four despicable perpetrators seem to know how serious their actions are. But now it's the day after the murders. And these four were discussing what to do with the bodies. And they mused about a couple possibilities. They talked about cutting them up and disposing the parts. Josh and Adam even brought over tools for that purpose. And they made references as to wanting to imitate what Leatherface did in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He talked about flaying one of the dead men and wearing his face like a mask. A suggestion, which Bethany later admitted in interrogation, made the group laugh. The things that these people find comical are they insane. Have, they're so, I don't know, are they just detached from reality or are they f***ing Deranged. Psychos? Because I've never heard, it. this is why I get, I'm so, you know, this story needs to be told, but it makes me nervous because I'm disturbed. <laughs> no, this is getting all of us worked up over yeah, here. I feel all... like we can't even finish this episode if you guys knew how many edits we had to make because we're because getting we're so we're, our feathers are this. very ruffled right now. Very ruffled because we can't understand this as people with just even shreds of empathy. I, I Maybe can't... a little bit of a conscience. It's just it's insane. <sighs> of course. And so this is the point after they're throwing and ping ponging around these possibilities. Bethany proposed calling your dad because he would know how to dispose of the bodies. The group as a whole agreed on that. And Bethany called her father. And like we know, he said he would help. But then he called the police because he's not a psychopath. Yep. All right. So what do you do in this situation? I mean, we, we've all talked about and you see these memes. You see memes on Instagram and on Twitter of I would, you know, if I got a call from my best friend, I would help them bury the body. Yeah. You see that all the time. I will ask you both this. Would you help each other bury a body? Nope. No. Okay. I wouldn't really help anybody break do anything law. that would break the law. Absolutely that's not. Putting me, asking me is selfish and compromise. Like, yeah, no, I no. didn't do anything wrong. I'm not helping Illegal you. Legal shit really is off putting to me. And, you know, especially when it comes to the suffering of somebody else, mm-hmm. I would sooner die. Honestly, I would rather commit suicide than help somebody cause suffering to a family and to the person. I would never, ever no. even 
be I'd on ha- the periphery of something like that. Okay. Now. Something harmless, sure. Sure. Tricking. Tr- I would lie if you wanted to lie to your boyfriend. I would yeah, yeah, yeah. Lie. I would, like, help you, like, look into somebody's DMs or something like that. 100%. But nothing <laughs> illegal. Definitely nothing that'll implicate me. Nothing immoral. What? Nothing no. ethically, ethically corrupt. No. Nothing morally bankrupt, ever. No. Do you guys have any friends who'd be like, yeah, I would totally do that for you? No, no. I don't think so. Really? Okay. No, we I don't mean, have bad friends. Have been friends for a decade. Yeah, a decade. I'll, okay, and we have a lot of the same friends, and I don't think a single one. No, because we're all like decent human beings. Yeah. No, hard no. no. Everyone. Okay. All right, but this is different, though. But it's your. I mean, this is different because this is it's his daughter. His daughter. So? His daughter calls him up. My mom. You don't. You don't. On me. You don't. You don't have a have a daughter though. I have you don't a mom have any who's kids. Told me. But you don't have any kids though. It's totally different. So you should be answering. Wait, this Billy. That's yes. what. That's what I want to tell you guys. You all right. So would you help your kids hide a dead body? Your daughter. Let's talk about your daughter because this is what Bill. Ooh, his name's Bill. <sighs> all right. If my kid called me up and said dad will you help me bury not even one body but two bodies oh my god could you imagine receiving that phone call and i get a lot of awful strange calls from my not awful but usually they involve i need money i need this or that you know but for my daughter and i wouldn't no i i would say no we're gonna go get a lawyer and we're gonna go to the cops that's what i would do because they're going to find out, especially since you called me and probably called me from your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And this is all going to go down really, really badly. So, no. Yeah. You, you, you call the cops and this guy did the right thing. He did. And when we talked to Sarah, Bethany's teacher, she said, you know, some parents of the students she taught kind of, you know, it could have gone one of two ways. So let's hear what she has to say about that. Uh, yeah, I read that um, left with her child or she left, picked up her child and then called her dad and he, uh, to help clean up the bodies. And he was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to call the cops on this one. And then she went to her grandma's in Kankakee, I think. But yeah, you, you never, you never know with the parents. Um, I mean, I'm hoping that they would, I'm hoping they would do what her dad did every time, but you never know completely agree that they did the right thing but yeah as far as defending i mean that's what you're just going to do for your child i guess um but i'm yeah i'm glad they turned her in what happens next bethany's dad calls the cops all of them are arrested Police arrested all four of them. Adam and Josh initially started the story about how Eric and Terrence tried to rape the girls, which we kind of mentioned earlier, which is what prompted that altercation that led to their deaths. The police didn't buy a second of that story. And Josh was the oldest. He was the only one with a criminal record. And the three other kids told police that the murders were his idea. He was immediately like made the mastermind of this whole situation. Exactly. So... Let's hear from the mastermind himself from behind bars. They're trying to say I was the mastermind of all this. I manipulated these people. I did this. I did that. Like, how is that even possible? Like, like I, didn't even, I didn't even know none of them. The, the Bethany bitch didn't even like me. The Adam dude, I just met him two days prior to the incident. So uh, how was I so, like... Jedi mind trick their ass. <laughs> like, like, how is that even possible? Like, the one girl didn't even like me. The other guy didn't even know me. And then the, the two guys that died. And 
the, the, the Adam dude, I told him, I did tell him, hey, get him off me, get him off me. But I didn't say, hey, Adam, kill the guy. I didn't, like, state that. And then um, I was in the, the whole planning and everything. Everybody had their own little idea of getting rid of the bodies and everything. And I, I was thinking of NCIS, Criminal Minds, all that, all that. CSI crime lab shit with a piece of piece of my hair on her body was gonna f us over, and it's, it's just outrageous that they're, they're looking at me like I'm a Charles Manson type chick. And how the f can I be that if I'm more slow witted than half these motherfuckers around here? So. While these four suspects are being questioned by police in custody. They reveal their intentions in terms of disposing of the bodies. And I know we just heard a little bit of that from Josh, but they really were trying to put all these plans into motion. So Eric and Terrence's, their lifeless bodies are sitting in this house. And Elisa, Bethany, Adam and Joshua, they're trying to concoct this plan on how to dismember them, get rid of the remains and cover up this crime. So first what they do is they ditch the car, which is the car that Eric and Terrence drove to the house. And they leave it at an apartment parking lot, which is on the other side of town. And then they go to Walgreens for some soda and beef jerky. As one does. As what one the does. hell? Then they consider putting the bodies in the vehicle and setting it on fire. <laughs> but then they say that, oh, that would draw too much attention, obviously, because it's a car on fire. So they said, well, why don't we dump them in the water in another location? And, you know, it's funny because this guy was talking about csi and yeah and ncis and everything and then <laughs> they were actually going through this kind of thing which is the worst things that you can do right bethany had told the officers that josh wanted to keep the teeth of the deceased as trophies after they had cut up the bodies so they were like all right we're going to cut the bodies but we're going to keep the teeth mm-hmm. i mean i'm just like speechless. i'm at a loss yeah. but it's it's just what they they just did in sharp objects too it's like teeth are like a quintessential ser- like killer trophy mm-hmm. these guys at least Josh could have for sure been a budding serial killer. Like this kind of oh, absolutely. attitude towards mm-hmm. human life is mm-hmm. just unbelievable. So Adam ends up going home and he gets supplies uh, to aid in this disposal process. So it's the typical pl- uh, supplies with rubber gloves, bleach, a saw, and a blowtorch. Maybe he still wanted to light the car on fire. Right. And but as we know, the four of them never acted on any of these ideas. They never used any of this stuff because they settled on calling Bethany's dad for help. And then he called the police. So they had all of these grand ideas. Let's do this. Let's do that. Oh, oh we're going to cut them up. But we're, I'm going to I want to save the teeth. And all right, you go home and get all this stuff and get the blowtorch and everything. And then they said, you know, what? Uh, let me just call my dad. Let's ask like, okay. an adult for help. Everybody who heard about this case was just disturbed. And the Juliet police chief, Mike Trafton was quoted of saying of the case, this is one of the most brutal, heinous, and upsetting things I've ever seen in my 27 years of law enforcement. Not only the crime scene, but the disregard for common decency towards human beings. And that's pretty much how I feel like we feel and how everybody else is going to feel listening to this podcast as well. Right, but I think one of the big takeaways for this is just like monsters are out there. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they invite you to parties. They will give you a beer. They hand you a controller to their video game. You know, you're playing games within one second. This is not. Listen, murders are uncommon statistically within the human population. But within murders, this kind of de- depravity isn't. Mm-hmm. No, when you're when you're at a place where you think is safe, 
you've been invited to somebody's home. Yep. They're all thinking we're going to do something to these people, and you have no idea. You're just there to have a good time. No idea. That is not of the fifteen thousand murders that happen, or sixteen thousand actually, uh, that happen in America. That is a incredibly small percentage. We're talking one or two percent of what what happens. Mm-hmm. You're just sitting there. I'm having a good time, and these people around you are thinking we're waiting to jump on you mm-hmm. and do something bad to you. Exactly, and I feel like. People who engage in kind of really high risk lifestyles are kind of a little bit more on edge, uh, a little bit more aware of their surroundings, a little bit more dialed into walking into dangerous situations where they could possibly like pick up on something. These guys were completely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Sarah about this, uh, our first reconnection, and I'm just like, when you read the accounts of this, these sound like... 45-year-old hardened criminals who've just been messed up their whole yeah. lives. And have been doing this and kind the of stuff their entire three lives. Of these, three of these kids had no criminal background. The victims had no criminal background. It's just like, how? How? And you wouldn't be on the defense. They're young. They're all under 25. Mm-hmm. Why would you think you'd be in danger playing video, playing Grand Theft Auto and having some beers with your friends? All right. So let's hear, I mean, obviously... Sarah, our first degree connection, lives in the area. She heard of this crime. Let's hear her reaction um, to hearing about this, and not only hearing about this, hearing that one of her students was directly involved in this, and another student who she knew. Mm, I have not heard of anything that gruesome happen. I mean, there are definitely murders that happen, senseless murders, I'd say, um, but definitely not to this extent. Um, so in terms of coverage of it, I found out on we have the Joliet patch, well, the, the patch for each county or area around here, and I found it on there, um, which is just local news stories. I honestly, and I'm not sure because I don't, I don't watch, like, live news broadcasts, so maybe that's why I didn't see it a lot. But my parents didn't know about it, um, you know, and they live relatively nearby. And a lot of people that I've talked to, like a lot of my family members, did not know about it. So there wasn't even that much coverage of it, which is the bizarre thing. This was like a disgusting, you know, um, act, and it was just not talked about. It was not talked about at all. Definitely this is like our area's urban legend, but in reality it's real, and that's the most disturbing part of it. (laughs) It's not just, uh, oh, this, you know, what happened in this house? blah 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 this actually happened and it's it's weird i remember it was surreal to like tell my family about it because it's just it's it's very strange being connected to one of those people that were involved um and yeah it doesn't seem real um and everyone every time you tell the story everyone gasps and is disgusted by it and it's just like this is real this is real life unfortunately So I know what we've said so far in this episode is haunting, abhorrent, despicable. These actions of these perpetrators really couldn't get any worse, but unfortunately they do. And just when nothing surprises me anymore, I hear a case like this and it recalibrates my entire brain. Absolutely. And we have run out of time today because we're trying to include everything that we can in this case. Um, so this is going to be a two-parter and we're going to leave you with this clip of what's to come next week. 
the biggest detail that was the most disturbing for me um, was hearing about the sex on the mattress on top of the body. Sources for this episode include the Joliet Patch, the Chicago Tribune, and CBS News.